You're listening to the MMA Crave. Here's your host and my favorite son, Joe McHale. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. You're listening to the MMA Crave. I'm your host, Joe McHale, and today is Monday, July 8th. 2019. We're recording in beautiful Spokane, Washington. Hope you had a happy 4th of July and you enjoyed it with a lot of hot dogs, maybe family, some friends, and uh, fireworks. I know I was in Glacier National Park uh, this week and part of the weekend celebrating the 4th outdoors with uh, some of the people that I am closest with. That's kind of become a tradition for me over the years. A lot of tradition, though, of course, is catching the fireworks. Didn't get to do that this year, but ah. That's okay. I've seen enough fireworks shows. They all kind of blend together. But speaking of fireworks, UFC 239. Holy cow, uh, what a card that was. And it absolutely delivered. And uh, Jorge Masvidal stealing the show. He's the talk of the town, if you will, uh, after defeating Ben Askren in just five seconds into the very first round via KO, that flying knee. My goodness, blew the the lid off a T-Mobile arena in Las Vegas on Saturday night. What a win for him. Uh, I've got some thoughts on that fight, especially what's next for Ben Askren. A lot of people kind of know what could be next for Masvidal. Maybe a title shot, maybe a number one contender fight. But the bigger question, in my opinion, is what do you do with Ben Askren? So we'll dive into that in a little bit. Of course, John Jones retaining his light heavyweight championship belt uh, with a split decision victory over Tiago Santos. We'll talk about what is next for John Bones Jones. Um, Amanda Nunez, the double champ, delivers once again, uh, and I feel like she is absolutely untouchable at this point. I mean, Valentino Chevchenko might have something to say about that, but my goodness, she is on another level, and what we're watching is some of the best uh, women's martial arts ever uh, in the history of this sport in Amanda Nunez. She is absolutely dominant. And then on today's program, we've got a very special guest, one I've had on the show before. We're talking to UFC welterweight and winner against Diego Sanchez on Saturday night, Michael Chiesa will be joining us in a few minutes. Happy to have him back on the program. Always good talking to Maverick. On this show, I'm a Spokane local. He's a Spokane local, so we got that connection going for us. And he is a down-to-earth dude who is willing to spend about 15 minutes with me a little bit later on in the show. So you will hear from him and his thoughts on his fight against Nightmare and what could be next for him. So a lot to get into on this show, and I'm excited to dive into it. Um, In the last few episodes, I've had matchups to make. We're going to actually skip that on today's program because I'm going to kind of dive into that with what I think should be next for Ben Askren, John Jones, um, Mike Chiesa, Jorge Masvidal, some of the big winners on Saturday night. Um, So first, let's get into Askren. Biggest takeaways, what we learned, what I learned from that fight is that Ben Askren is not going to be a UFC champion. I know that's hard for some of you to hear, 
I know some of you are maybe nodding in agreement. Um, full disclosure, though, before I continue anymore, I got to say thanks. Shout out to my bro, Nate Powell. Just um, kayaked the Spokane River with him this afternoon and was kind of spitballing with him. We were kind of bouncing ideas off each other. And so he gave me a nice warm up for this podcast and some things to think about and some things to share. So I want to give credit to Nate Powell for some of these thoughts because, you know, he said some things that I hadn't necessarily thought about. So, um, Nate, if you're listening, dude, uh, I want to give some credit to you. So what I was saying, Ben Askren, um, I do not think he is going to get a title shot. Well, he might get a title shot. I don't think he is going to be a welterweight champ in the UFC. Here's why. Obviously, we know he was a stud in Bellator. He was a stud in one. UFC, so far, two fights, has not been the two best performances of his career. Obviously not on Saturday night. Even in the Robbie Lawler fight, he was getting absolutely dominated in that fight before he was able to secure that submission, that bulldog choke. What we learned in that fight is that he is durable, he is tough, he can take a punch, he can get beat up and come back and get a win. Then we have the Masvidal fight that only lasts five seconds. Was it luck? No. We saw Mike Brown had posted 48, well, sorry, he posted after the fight but had took a video 48 hours before the fight of Masvidal practicing that very knee. So there was a lot of strategy involved. Whether or not that works, you know, it it worked on Saturday night, but if he tries that 50 more times, it's not going to work all 50 times. You know, um, you mess that up and Ben Askren gets you to the mat and it's likely a very, very different fight. Uh, But with that said, Masvidal, obviously one of the tougher guys at 170 pounds and... um, it's tough to say he manhandled Askren because we only got five seconds of it. But um, we know that I, I, what I think is that Ben Askren is good. He's not great. Um, he's very, very good. Um, he's a good wrestler. He's not a world-class wrestler. Uh, he wrestled Jordan Burroughs. Granted, he'd been away from you know strict, strictly wrestling for a while. But he wrestled Jordan Burroughs about a month or two ago and got absolutely dominated. Jordan Burroughs is a guy to where if he were ever to translate and try things out in the UFC, and if he gets you to the ground, it's basically over. Um, Henry Cejudo, same way. World-class wrestler. Askren is not quite there. He's a really, really good MMA wrestler, a really, really good strict wrestler, but not world-class. And that's why I think in MMA, it's not he's got to have more tools in the tool bag. Yeah, he can strike. You know, he, He's been doing this long enough to where he knows how to fight MMA style. But I think if you throw him into the octagon with a Kamara Usman, a Tyron Woodley, um, a Jorge Masvidal, as we saw on Saturday night, those are wins I don't think that he is capable of getting. Um, that's just my opinion. Um, so I don't think that Askren is going to ever be a UFC champ. But what's next for him? He's still a top 10 welterweight, I believe, in that division. I think that you got to look at a couple guys that he could fight. Uh, I would say Darren Till makes sense. Steven Thompson makes sense. Both guys coming off of some losses. Uh, both guys still definitely in the mix at 170 pounds. Um, stylistically, it definitely... Um, Poses, you know, some issues for Askren with their striking, but with his wrestling, it, you know, uh, shoes on the other foot. 
could pose problems for those guys. But that kind of is what makes sense to me. Um, what about Jorge Masvidal? What's next for him? We've talked about Askren. Let's talk now about Jorge Masvidal. What does he do after that knockout? I think while he hasn't been on this insane streak at the welterweight division, he's beaten enough really good guys. Um, he's been in some very close fights uh, recently with some really good guys. Um, I think he deserves a title shot at 170 pounds. Colby Covington right now, uh, his friend, his teammate, he's tied up uh, in a fight with Robbie Lawler. Um, Darren Till, Stephen Thompson, the guys I just mentioned, they are coming off of losses. Tyron Woodley, sidelined. Uh, Kamara Usman, sidelined. So it's tough to say what he's going to do right now, Jorge Masvidal we're talking about, but I do think he deserves a title shot, whether it's an interim title shot. Tyron Woodley has said he is going to fight again in 2019. That fight makes sense to me. Or Kamara Usman, if he can get healthy. Dana White said after the fights on Saturday night, they don't know when he is going to be back, when he's going to be healthy and he's going to be able to return to action. So we're just going to have to wait and see. Um, but I do think that Masvidal deserves a title shot or maybe a fight against Tyron Woodley. Um, so we will see. We will see what is next for game bread. But we do know that he is very, very dangerous and he stole the show and he got his $50,000 bonus. Yeah. He got that money on Saturday night, the way that he went in there and beat Askren, making the record for fastest knockout, fastest finish in UFC history, by the way. Uh, that was previously held by one Dwayne Ludwig. Uh, when was that? That was a while ago. I want to say 2006, um, when Dwayne Ludwig knocked out, I forget the name of the opponent, um, in six seconds. So, five seconds, Masvidal does it. I, I w I'm curious as to what he said to Askren when, after he knocked him out. I haven't seen anything out there. There might already be something out there, but I haven't seen it. And if there is, um, I'd be interested in, in, in knowing what it was. I think that um, no matter how much you hate someone, no matter how much angst or, or, or just beef you have with someone or how bad you want to beat someone when you do something like that, I do think it's a little disrespectful. Uh, to get down and um, get into someone's face, smack on the, the canvas a couple times for someone who is unconscious. Uh, you, just, you just beat him. You beat him handily. You knocked him out. Let that do the talking. But, hey, to each their own. Um, I'm not going to hate Masvidal for it. I just think it was a little um, not, not quite so classy. But it is what it is. People are going to forget about that. Uh, let's talk a little bit about John Jones. A lot of people, well, not a lot of people, Dana White saying he doesn't think that judge has a business judging fights, the one who scored at a split decision, the one who scored at a, a win for Tiago Santos. I disagree with the president of the UFC. I think it was a very, very close fight. And you could see that a, a judge could have given it to Tiago Santos. Um, I think that John Jones won the fight. Uh, it was very close, but I think he, he was the one pressing forward. And that's a, that's a score that a lot of people, you know, take for granted. But Jones was the one moving forward most of the time. And so I, I think he won that fight, but I do think it was really close. And I am okay with the fact that another judge scored it for 
Tiago Santos. Um, John Jones said later on, maybe it was today or maybe it was yesterday or after the fight, that he thinks he's open to a rematch with uh, Santos, but that he'll have to climb the ladder again. Um, I, I don't know about that. I don't know. It was a close fight. I would like to see the Gustafson rematch right away. Um, you know, but with Santos, you know, you're you're taking on the champ. You've got to you've got to get a definitive win. I think when it's that close, I tend to see history that if it's a really really close fight, the champ is often not dethroned. Um, and so, you know, I I'm open to a rematch. I'm open to an immediate rematch. I just don't know if John Jones of the UFC is interested. Um, you know, Dominic Reyes, that's the name that we heard out there. Uh, John Jones calling him out. Uh, he's a guy who's undefeated. He's a guy who's a 111 in a row as a professional, I believe. Um, let me double check my notes here. Da-da-da-da, Dominic Reyes. Yep. He's 11 0 with a recent win over Volka and Ozdemir. Very tough opponent. Very tough fight. Um, he got a decision over OSP. Another very tough fight. He TKO Jared Conanier. So here's a guy who's putting together a lot of wins against a lot of game opponents, and I would be happy to see him fight John Jones. So we'll see if that happens. The next question is, does John Jones go to heavyweight? That's the big question. That's what everyone's talking about, right? Oh, he should fight DC again at heavyweight. He should get the winner of DC, Stipe Milicic too. I don't know. I don't know. This is one that before I thought made sense for me, but after talking to the aforementioned Nate Powell before the show... Um, I kind of have to say, what is there to gain for John Jones going to heavyweight? I think John Jones has more to lose for his legacy than to gain. He already beat the current heavyweight champion. He already beat him. He already beat DC. Handedly. Uh, twice. But... Does fighting at, at a different weight class really matter? DC's better at heavyweight. He's, I think, stronger. He doesn't have to do the weight cut. Granted, it's not a very big weight cut, but he doesn't have to do it. So, um, yeah. I don't know how, how much, because, you know, if John Jones goes and he loses that fight, it does a lot more to his legacy. I think if he wins, it's like, eh, we already know. He already beat the heavyweight champ. Unless Stipe Miocic wins that fight. Eh, then, then maybe it makes a little more sense. Go be a double champ. Then you go down definitely in history as one of the greatest to ever do it. One of a handful to be a double champ. But DC, I don't know. I'm not opposed to seeing that fight again. I just think John Jones has more to lose than to gain. But that's just my opinion. So we'll see what happens with John Jones. Uh, before we get into uh, the interview today with Mike Chiesa, I just want to briefly touch on the man, Amanda Nunez fight, and I, it will be very, very brief. Um, Amanda Nunez is untouchable, almost. I think the Valentino Chevchenko fight was very, very close, and I would really like to see that rematch. Um, but to me, Amanda Nunez is, uh, she's going to beat anyone the UFC puts in front of her. She has handedly, and she will continue to do that for the next couple of years. What we are seeing is what we saw with John Jones in his early days. What we saw with George St. Pierre in his early days. Guys that were dominating their opponent. Jose Aldo. 
guys that were dominating their opponents, and it wasn't even close. Now we go later on down the line. John Jones went to a very close decision with Santos, a very close decision with Gustafsson. He, he, he beat Anthony Smith handedly, but it took him five rounds to do it. John Jones isn't getting those finishes as frequently as he used to. GSP, same thing. Almost lost to Carlos Condit. Almost. In his later fights, he was pushed to go five rounds. Uh, you know, and so I think with Amanda Nunez, right now we're seeing her in her absolute prime, the best she is going to be at any point in her career. Her technique is so good. She's going to beat Holly Holm with her with Holly Holm's own technique. Head kick. Boom. Sorry for the clap. I'm a little amped up right now. I think that Amanda Nunez, I don't know who's going to beat her. Other than maybe Valentino Chevchenko. I want to see that rematch. I just don't know when or if that is going to happen. So I don't know what is next for her. Juliana Pena fights on Saturday night in Sacramento. Nico Montagna. Um, she was right there in the race before her loss to Valentino Chevchenko two and a half years ago. You heard her talk about that on the podcast uh, last week. So, um, or it was two weeks ago. Either way, my previous episode. You can go back and look at it. I am on SoundCloud and iTunes right now. Um, Juliana Pena, maybe she racks together a couple of wins. Maybe. That's, that's a stretch, but maybe. I just don't know if there's anyone right now Currently, other than Valentino Chevchenko, who they've already fought, who is capable of beating Amanda Nunez. I just don't see it. So that's that. Once again, not going to do matchups to make because I kind of gave you those. Um, One final thought before we get into Michael Kies' interview. Uh, Jan Blachowicz, uh, an amazing knockout over Luke Rockhold. You got to question what's next for Luke Rockhold. Dana White said in the post-fight press conference that maybe he should retire. Um, I don't know. I'm kind of torn. I think at first, like I thought, I don't know if a UFC president has the right to say that. You don't hear Roger Goodell rec- making recommendations for Tom Brady to retire. But the UFC is a different sport, and Dana White's a different president. He's the face of the company. He's always been outspoken. He's on, you know, uh, the Ultimate Fighter and the Contender Series, and he, he's. He is a very um, vocal, uh, very big uh, presence for the UFC. Um, but I, I think it's, it's more suited for um, Rockhold's teammates and friends and family to maybe have that talk with him. But either way, at the end of the day, the UFC and, and MMA is a very different sport than others. And it is very violent. And you take a couple KOs like that. And you got to wonder, um, where do you go from here? Um, Holly Holm, same thing. Diego Sanchez, same thing. Um, so we'll see. Um, but also at the end of the day, um, this is also crediting my buddy Nate again. It's it's up to uh, it's up to that fighter. Like Dana White can say what he wants to say, but he's not going to probably force Luke Rockhold to stop fighting. Um, so that's just that. All right, let's switch gears now to the guest of today's program. After defeating Diego Sanchez, uh, manhandling Diego Sanchez Saturday night at UFC 239 in Las Vegas, he's now 2-0 and 
at welterweight. Seems like a good fit for him there, and always so generous with his time. Uh, without further ado, here is uh, UFC welterweight Michael Chiesa. Mike, how's it going, man? It's going good, Joe. It's going good. Good to be talking to you again in, uh, in victory lane. Yeah, man, it's awesome. Uh, I love it. Uh, you know, I really appreciate it. I just got to say, I know that you are such a busy guy, and I don't have the most popular podcast out there, but for you to sit, you know, take the time to do this, I, I really do appreciate it, man. Oh, dude, you're my boy, man. Anything <laughs> I can do to help, and I like talking to you, so it works out. For sure. Awesome. Well, the feeling's mutual, dude. Um, let's talk uh, – First, before I get into the fight, I know you were in a hurry to get back to Spokane. Uh, you are back in Spokane, and I assume you're maybe in a cabin, maybe drinking beer, maybe hanging out with your dog? I have not engaged in the beer drinking yet. Um, <laughs> we did a lot of that. We left Las Vegas, but uh, definitely enjoying time with my dog and uh, looking to hit the Frisbee golf course today maybe. But, yeah, it's just good to be home, man, and, and – uh, and just it, it, that's the best feeling in the world is when you get to come home on a win. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. Wake up, this feels good. You know what I mean? So definitely happy to be where I'm at right now. Yep. Speaking of that win, um, Diego Sanchez Saturday night. Uh, just the way you were able to um, take control of that fight from the very beginning of the fight to the very end. Um, were you surprised at all of, I guess, I shouldn't say easy because nothing in there really is easy, but were you surprised at how you were able to take control of Diego Sanchez throughout that fight? Um, A little bit, yeah. You know, I I, uh, I thought he would be a little harder to, to kind of hold down, and I didn't want to just kind of pin him down and make it boring, but it's definitely, you know, this, this camp we were definitely um, – we were training to be in, in some crazy scrambles, you know what I mean? And uh, so, you know, it, it, uh, we had some good scrambles in there and stuff, but I, I thought I might be – I was preparing to be on the losing end of a few of them. Um, but, you know, it, that's just where the preparation really came into play. Is I really was able to stay one step ahead of him and um, just really just execute. You know what I mean? That was the biggest thing. Um, I didn't think he would really try to take me down so fast, but uh, – you know, he was talking about first round finish and stuff, and so I'm thinking, you know, he's getting inducted in the Hall of Fame for the Clay Guida fight. He's going to try to bum rush me the same way he did Clay, hit me on the fence and throw a thousand uppercuts or something. So I like, in my mind, I was thinking he's going to try to just knock my head off the first round, and you know, I just wasn't expecting the early takedown. But um, you know, that's fine. Like the second he took me down, I was sitting on my butt, and I kind of hit that guillotine sweep that you know we hit a lot at our gym at Six Um mm-hmm. Right when I kind of hit that sleep in the beginning I could tell I'm like okay I think that this is going to go pretty smooth you know what I mean definitely exerted a lot of energy I was freaking tired really really tired but uh you know I knew that if I was tired then I was making him more tired so everything just kind of went the way I thought it was yeah I know I think it was after round one when you went to the corner you sat down and um you asked your coach Rick Little uh did I win that round did it seem close to you at any at any point um, it seemed, it's not that it seemed close. I knew I did some damage, um, you know, but I, I kind of, you know, like I went kind of for that, like armbar triangle and you ended up on bottom and scrambled up. It's the one thing about a fight, Joe, is sometimes you, it, it's hard to keep track of time. So, you know, I didn't know if, you know, I didn't know how long I was really underneath him. It didn't seem like a long time, but, you know, maybe it would have been like a minute, you know, and that's a minute of top position for him. 
things like that. You know what I mean? So sure. that's why I asked him, like, hey, you know, did I win that round? Just make sure, like, in my head, I thought I won it, but that's just the, you know, you always want to be, you, you always want to be where you're at in the fight. You know what I mean? If I lost the round, I want to know if I lost the round. I need to know. I'm always going to push for the finish, but I need to know if I'm in a deficit that I need to come back from. Sure. Yeah. Was that the game plan? Uh, you spent a lot of time on the mat. Was that kind of what you wanted to do in there? I mean, when you were striking with him, you were definitely getting the better of him in a lot of those exchanges. Um, but was the plan to maybe keep this one on the mat? Um, not really. No, we really didn't have like a specific game plan. We just prepared for specific scenarios, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? Yeah. So there was no game plan to like just keep it on the feet or you know, keep it on the ground. It was more like, let's prepare for some certain scenarios and just go out and fight. You know what I mean? That's, that's something that um, I can take a lot of pride in. I know I can just kind of fight in any situation. Um, you know, I have been working on my striking and I never really got the chance to show it. And I think that I always tell people that I'll really get to showcase my full skills when I'm not able to execute a guy when I'm not able to execute my plan A, which is grappling. When a guy stifles my grappling and I'm stuck on my feet, I think that that's where I'm going to shine with my stand-up. And, um, you know, but I'm, I'm always just trying to take guys into my wheelhouse and just and just get them to the ground, go for subs, go for, go for dominant positions and things like that. So um, we just plan for specific situations, not a specific game plan. Sure. It seemed like you did showcase that you were winning in every single aspect of that fight. I know that during the broadcast, uh, there's a couple of moments you were close to getting that uh, rear naked choke. It, with some of the ground and pound, you were close to maybe even getting the finish. During the broadcast, I don't know if it was Joe Rogan or Paul Felder, but they said that Diego had never been submitted. He has never been submitted. Uh, did you know that going into the fight? And if so, did you really want to be that guy to submit him? Oh, yeah, I did, but I didn't want to be – here's the thing is he's he, – what makes him have good submission good submission defense is, A, he's resilient, you know what I mean? And, two, he's really flexible and slippery, you know what I mean? So I, I could feel myself, you know, I, I, I would get to that rear naked choke position or whatever, and I would – I just feel like he was good at kind of tucking his neck – He's just kind of good at shrinking himself. Like I, I would feel like he would just kind of like shrink chest to his legs, and I would just kind of slide off him, you know. And, and just when we were going over, you know, going over some few situations on fight day before we left for the arena, Rick, my head coach, made a good point. He was just like, you know, don't don't get too full committed on submission attempts. I would rather see you hold positions and stay on top and do damage than to attack for the sub, you know what I mean? And that's kind of why in the first round, when I went underneath him, I bailed immediately. I'm like, I'm not going to try to commit to a triangle and have him pass and get on top and stifle me and have him, you know, Diego's, Diego's best attribute is he is great on top, good hips, good ground and pound, and I didn't want to be underneath him. So it was kind of, the, you know, I wanted to get the submission, but I just didn't want to, Sometimes I can force a submission on a guy. You know what I mean? But yeah. it's just, he, he's a guy that that's what I would have to do. And that was just really, it's kind of a gamble. So I, I just wanted to hold position, do damage. And my, I envisioned getting a TKO. Yeah. Um, you know, 
it's you, you mentioned being tired in that fight and, and trying all these things and realizing that he was shrinking and that he was slippery and that he was avoiding. Obviously, the dude's been doing it a long time. Uh, and so it's, it's not a surprise that he was able to last the full 15 minutes with you. And you did mention after the fight that he took you into some deep waters. It didn't look like it during the fight. I, I was watching it and I said, you know, Mike doesn't look too tired. He looked very calm, composed, but how, how tired were you? Oh, I was exhausted, bro. I, not like I was gassed, but definitely like, I was like, you know, I, I, I my plan you know, we, we had talked, like, don't be afraid to get yourself tired because if you're tired, he's going to be more tired. You know what I mean? So mm. that was kind of like, I wasn't really, I wasn't gassed out, but I just, I just pushed a pace. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. You know, beforehand, he, you know, he's, he's, <laughs> Diego's a unique dude. And of course he's making, you know, the face-offs are incredible anytime. Uh, did any of that get to you? Did any of his head games uh, get to you mentally at all before the fight? No, not at all, dude. I look. I I knew what I was getting into with this fight, and I knew what I had to do in terms of my physical and my mental preparation. I, uh, you know, it's like when I would be watching film on Diego, and I would watch him getting introduced by Bruce Buffer, and I would see the the, the intensity and the things like that. I kind of took extra note of that as I was watching film going into this fight, just so I could be prepared for that. So much so that, like, at media day, uh, I, like, ran to the center. Usually I just kind of walked my way up on the stage. He, like, ran to the center. Or I ran to the center up on media stage and kind of walked up. And I was just, like, expecting him to just be in that intensity, get in your face mode right away. Um, but I was ready for it, dude. There was a lot of weird antics going on this fight week with him. It was, it was definitely interesting. Yeah, it was a weird fight week. Um, the earthquake, what day was that? There were two earthquakes. There were two. I there were two. Yeah, I didn't feel the first one, but the second one was on Friday. I'm at my dinner after weigh-ins, and uh, we're just kind of sitting there, and all of a sudden, I'm like, whoa, I, I, I felt like inebriated. You know what I mean? I was like, whoa, I feel really weird. And then it's just after like a few seconds, they're like, oh, it's an earthquake. But it was weird because it's just you can feel everything swaying side to side and people are kind of getting like shooken up, you know what I mean? It was it was crazy. And I, I was thinking to myself, I'm like, I hope this doesn't happen during Diego's Hall of Fame speech because you know he's going to be like, I made this earthquake happen. <laughs> You're like, it's just so, so crazy, you know what I mean? So. I was like, oh, God, he's doing his Hall of Fame speech right now. He's going to be lambasting the Internet with uh, with quotes about creating an earthquake or some shit like that. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah, I mean, Diego, yeah, he's, I, I, you know, the interview before um, his fight with you was one with, I think, Ariel Hawani, super, super interesting. Uh, and he said some things. He said that, you know, you were searching for an identity you maybe had the clay but didn't know what you were building and were maybe lost in translation. But, man, I, I feel like 170 is home for you. Did you hear any of what he was saying about that, and what, what did you make of it? Oh, he was, are you talking about his interview with Ariel? Uh, yes. Well, I, I, there's a couple separate interviews, one with Ariel, and then there was, there was one that he, I think he did for the UFC. But, yeah, well, it was one of those two interviews. Um, I didn't catch that one about him saying that, you know, 
me trying to find my identity and things like that. But, I mean, uh, there's no – when I – look, I made the decision and was very very committed to it a year ago today. When I missed weight against Anthony Pettis, and I stepped on the scale and told the media I'm done with 155, you know, I was done. I already moved on. You know what I mean? And, and I, it's, uh, you know, so I was never, I've never been searching for anything. I've, I found my new home before I was even there. You know what I mean? So um, it's like, a, I, he's just kind of, as a fighter, you have to make assessments and, you know, make assessments and theories that are going to benefit you in a way to give you confidence. So I think that that's just him looking at me and the decisions I'm making and what I'm doing, it's just like coming up with something that he, you know, he, he's coming up with something he believes is giving mm. confidence. So, mm. um, but he wasn't right. That's for sure. Yeah. Now you mentioned a year ago, almost a year ago, getting on that scale. You mentioned it being one of the lowest points in your entire career, if not the lowest point in your entire career. Never had missed weight before. Never had back-to-back losses. What a difference a year makes. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I basically said just what a difference a year makes. I mean, you would miss weight for the first time in your career, back-to-back losses for the first time in your career, and now, now look at you know things look a lot looking up for you. Yeah, man, it's uh, it's just a crazy turn of events. Like I remember being in the back room um, after I lost the Pettis, being like alone in the locker room. I don't know if it was for a minute or for an hour, but just remember I was sitting back there being like, how the hell did this all happen? You know what I mean? It was just in the course of months. It's like I had the Brooklyn incident. I break my foot. I miss wait for Anthony. I lose to Anthony. And I was just like, how did all this happen to me? You know what I mean? So it's definitely crazy that, you know, the lowest point of my career was that was that moment, you know? Mm. The, my, the one thing I'm ashamed of is the missing of the weight. I just remember sitting in the locker room afterwards and just feeling just like empty. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it, 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 I, the, the good thing about me is I knew I wasn't going to let it define me. It's something that I had to battle with, and it was, you know, I had to test my mentally to get through it. And I'm just glad I did. Now I feel so much more like myself again. I, when you get used to winning, it's really hard to lose. <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, yeah. Fighting at 170 for a second time much different than fighting compared to the Condit fight. Yeah, um, where it differentiated, where it differentiated is my stress level was a lot lower. Uh, I remember being in camp with Condit and just being really stressed out. I mean, the potential to lose three in a row, you know what I mean, was a very scary, scary thought. You know what I mean? I, losing two in a row, I never thought would happen to me in my life. You know, maybe, maybe if I'm at the end of the road. You know, maybe I, I, get, I could have seen that happening, but not right now. And um, so that whole camp, I was just a little stressed out about where I stood with the UFC, my, you know, losing my last couple fights, and not to mention I'm going into foreign territory with a new weight class. Not just in fighting, but in life, change can be scary. You know what I mean? And it was uh, just going 
going into so much foreign territory, that fight, I was definitely... And I'm fighting Carlos Condit. Let's not forget that part. Fighting a, fighting a guy, the natural-born killer, you know what I mean? When you're not at your most confident time in your career, you think of all the ways he's going to knock you out and this and that. And it, it was just a very trying camp. Whereas this one, I'm like, dude, I was just like happy. I got a win under my belt. I knew I, I, I'm like, oh, I'm in the right way. Now. This, this is right. This feels good. Mm. I mean, so it's like, that that was gratifying, you know what I mean? And it, it just I got to enjoy it. Even though this camp was a lot harder than the Condit camp, I was able to push myself a lot harder. I was able to train more. I was able to recover better. And I actually noticed the difference of things, you know what I mean? So it was a very, even though the camp was harder, it was still, uh, it was still a lot of fun. Yeah, it was a different looking camp for you. I know you, you traveled to train with Tyler McGuire and, and, and you spent a couple weeks in Vegas instead of just one. Uh, did that make a difference? Like, would you say, like, that approach had a big impact on your performance? Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing about training with Tyler was just he's been a part of our team for so long that I just, this would have been the first time in my, in my, almost my whole UFC career, because he, he kind of came in the picture in 2013 or 14. Um, he's just been around so long, you know, for, you know, I've been doing this for 11 years, him being around for five, six years, it, it's just hard to go into a fight without getting some training in with him. So I went down there specifically for him. We went to Chicago to go train with Juliana Pena, who's going to be fighting this weekend in Sacramento, and I will be there. Yes. Um, but, uh, and then, you know, spending the time in Vegas. And the whole time I had Rick with me, which was great because it's like he's able to oversee things and things of that sort. But, um, you know, it's, it's, we have a tough team here at home. We have great bodies. We got a lot of good veterans, and we got great up-and-comers. But, you know, you, I train a lot, and sometimes it's good to just go get a few different looks in certain places where it's like a home team, like a home team affiliation type thing. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah, the, the, the going forward, the bulk of my camps will be always done in Spokane, but I'm still going to continue to spend a few weeks out of town getting different looks every fight now. Definitely. Yep. Just a couple more questions for you, Mike. Then I'll let you go. Um, you said that you did not have you didn't have a name on Saturday night after you won. Uh, do you have a name today? Um, kinda. You know what I mean. It's more obviously. I'm sure you heard the, the post fight interview, and I I said that you know Jess Ross is the only name I had in mind, and that's yeah. who I wanted to. Yeah. You know that's who I that's who I wanted to give my attention towards instead of an opponent. But being home and just kind of looking at the you know you, I always go on like MMA Junkie and Bloody Elbow and after every event and they always put like matches to make after you know UFC two thirty nine. So I always like to look at those and the Neil Magny name popped up and you know I would I I'd get back on board with that. You know there was a good that's who we thought we were fighting before Diego actually and he went a different direction. Mm. And I'm kind of glad he did because, you know, had I gotten that fight, we never would have got to fight because we got pulled from the event. So, mm-hmm. kind of worked out. But, um, you know, I'd be, I'd welcome that fight. I just, I just want to get in the rankings. I don't know if this fight against Diego is going to get me in the rankings. I, I wouldn't be surprised if it didn't, and I wouldn't be upset about it because I know how this works. Yeah. But, um, but I, I do know that my next fight will be against a ranked opponent. This is also the third fight on my contract. I have no interest in fighting into free agents, but, you know, after you fight your third contract, third, third fight out on your contract, you always renegotiate before you're fourth. And, uh, you know, I, so now 
now it's like we're going to renegotiate a new contract. And, uh, you know, I'm, uh, I'm sure ranked opponents going forward is going to be, that's going to be the, the, the theme. Okay. Uh, I saw you gave your gloves to Halle Berry. Um, <laughs> and I saw you met her earlier in fight. I didn't know she was such a big fight fan. What was that like in the chance to interact with her and meet her? Well, Hallie, when I did my first day of training at the PI after media day um, in L.A., they asked me if I wanted to talk to her before I worked out. So she was coming out with B, and I was like, yeah, for sure, you know what I mean? So me and a few other fighters, we, we all talked to her, and she was just kind of asking us questions about our mentality and, and just, you know, wanted to hear our stories and stuff. So we all kind of shared with her, and then... Um, so I saw her, and she, you know, obviously she was at UFC 232 um, cornering Cyborg when I fought Condit. So she's, you know, she it, it's all social media already that she's a fight fan, but now she's coming out with this movie, and she's been, uh, her character is, is going to be like a jiu-jitsu-based type of fighter or something. And uh, I don't want to say too much, because I don't know if I'm supposed to or not. Sure, sure. <laughs> but uh, but uh, so when I got done, I'm backstage, I see her, and so I go up and say hi, and she just was, like, she congratulated me, obviously, but it's just, she was very, like, appreciative of how my fight went. She's, she was just saying how, you know, her character is a grappling-based character, does jiu-jitsu, and she enjoyed watching my fight because it's, that's a lot of things she can take away and, and put into her movie and, and just enjoyed watching my techniques and how I execute them, and it was flattering. I mean, granted, she doesn't know... You know, it, it, it's not like she's, you know, it, it, she's not a fighter. And usually those comments are flattering coming from a fighter, but just she's shared her passion with us about how much she's been enjoying doing jiu-jitsu and how she loves having it in her life. And that's what inspired her to do this movie was her starting jiu-jitsu and stuff. So her to, for her to show appreciation, I was just like, you know what, I'm going to give a little token of my appreciation back. You know, so I gave her my gloves and, uh, you know, so it's just like a mutual show of respect and appreciation, I guess you could say. That's Plus, awesome. she's Catwoman. Plus, she's Catwoman. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, maybe for yeah. the next movie she does with jujitsu, maybe the 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 production studio will will hire you to come on and do some fight choreography for her. That is, uh, there's actually something going on with that. So I think that um, I, I I'm thinking that there I, I might be some background noise for me in the movie. So we'll see what happens. You know okay. what I mean? But. Uh, but yeah, so I can't say too much. I don't know if I'm supposed to or not. It's confirmed nor denied um, from either party, but it was just thrown out there that there's a possibility that I might have some some type of role or some type of influence on the movie. So we'll see what happens. Okay, we'll stay tuned. Awesome. All right. Hey, Mike, thank you again so much for doing this. I appreciate you and uh, look forward to hearing what's next for you and look forward to seeing you after you get some rest back in the gym. All right, man. Take care. All right, there you go. Michael Maverick Chiesa. Some good stuff from him. Thanks for coming on the program. And 170 pounds is where he belongs. He was big at 155. He's still big at 170, and he's able to be athletic and strong and not worry about cutting all that weight. I think he deserves a ranked opponent. I think he deserves a top 10 opponent. We will see. And I want to touch on that in a second, but first... Uh, it's very important that I mentioned uh, something on a more serious note. You heard Mike talk about um, someone that was on his mind during 
that fight during that fight camp, Jess Ross Kelly. Um, you heard him talk about it in the post-fight, the interview inside the Octagon, uh, the interview during the media scrum afterward, and also just a second ago on this program. Um, Jess Ross Kelly um, uh, was a friend of Mike's who passed away in April of this year. Uh, he is from Spokane, and he was a, a pretty famous climber. Um, he was actually, uh, at one point, the youngest um, uh, male to ever summit Mount Everest. Uh, in 2013, he was 20 years old when he when he stood on the highest point in the in the world, um, and he he climbed a lot of mountains. But in in April of 2019, um, at just 36 years old, uh, he was involved in an avalanche while climbing Howe's Peak. Um, that's kind of uh, in the Canadian Rockies area, not far, I believe, outside of Banff, Canada. Um, he, him and two other climbers were involved um, in an avalanche, and all three of them, including Ross Kelly, uh, lost their lives. And again, Mike was was good friends with, with Jess Ross Kelly, and so uh, certainly with, with heavy heart um, that he was fighting, and that's the only name that he had uh, in mind. Um, uh, leading up to and during that fight uh, with Diego Sanchez. So um, rest in peace, Jess Ross Kelly um, and the other climbers who, who were there that day, April 16th, 2019, so young, um, and uh, died doing something that they all loved, that they all enjoyed. Um, switching gears again, once again, um, just to some thoughts on what is next for um, Kiesa, uh, again, I think that he is home at 170 pounds, and I think that he's going to be a very difficult opponent for just about anyone at 170 pounds. Um, he doesn't use his striking a whole lot, but he can he can do it. And you saw it against Diego Sanchez when he had him up against the fence. Um, Mike, believe me, I know from experience, Mike can strike. Um, he's one of the best grapplers that... Uh, is on the UFC roster. He's long, he's strong, he's big, he's tall. Um, so he poses a threat for a lot of guys uh, in that weight class. Um, I think that, for me, a really intriguing matchup is Damian Maya, um, who is continuing to win. Another guy, you know, Mike, of course, is coming off of back-to-back wins against um, legends of the sport, uh, Carlos Condit, Diego Sanchez. Um, and Damian Maya is a kind of another one of those guys, but man, I think that that would be a really good matchup. Both guys are, are winning at 170 pounds. Both guys are excellent grapplers. I think that Mike Chiesa is the better MMA grappler. Um, I do. I think that Damian Maya, without a doubt, world-class grappler, uh, but in MMA, when elbows and punches are flying, it's a little bit different. And I think Chiesa has the edge there. Maya has come taken strides in his striking, um, so he's not a pushover on the feet by any means. I think that that is an intriguing matchup for me. He's a top ten guy, someone that Mike Chiesa called for, and uh, he's someone who makes sense to me. He's not going to get you know a a Masvidal or or Colby Covington or a Woodley or Usman or Askren like that just yet, but maybe a Damian Maya. Um, maybe an Anthony Pettis rematch at 170 pounds. Uh, maybe a little too soon from that, but I could see that happening. Kevin Lee rematch 
at 170 pounds. That one makes more sense in the pedestry match just because it was a controversial ending. Um, you know, he didn't quite tap, but Mario Yamasaki called the fight. It was Mike was in trouble, but he didn't tap yet. And you know, in a, in a main event like that one was, I think you gotta let it go. Uh, and it was just, it was weird. It was weird. It was controversial. That could be a potential rematch. You heard Mike mention Neil Magny. That also makes sense. So we'll see what happens. We will see what happens. But nonetheless, a very dominating performance for Mike Chiesa. Back-to-back wins at welterweight. Uh, and he just, he did whatever he wanted to with Diego Sanchez. It would have been cool to see him get that submission though, right? The first person ever uh, to submit Diego Sanchez. And it wasn't like he wasn't trying. I know Joe Rogan mentioned during the broadcast that there may have been some openings. He would like to see him try a little harder. Maybe that's not what Joe meant. I mean, Mike was obviously trying to submit him. Diego is just, he's as tough as they come, man. I'm sorry, but there might not be another fighter that's tougher than Diego Sanchez. Name me someone else who's tougher than Diego Sanchez. But I don't think you can. I love interaction. So um, anytime you guys want to, please connect with me. Uh, I mainly use Twitter when I'm talking about fighting. That's at Joe McHale, not Joel McHale, no L, at Joe McHale, hashtag the MMA Crave. And uh, I am always open for discussion. Uh, If you like what you're listening to, please subscribe. Right now I'm on iTunes as well as SoundCloud, working on getting some other platforms, but TBD. Um, So please subscribe. Give me feedback. I love it. Maybe your thoughts. Uh, I'm always open to it. Always open to some some constructive criticism. So, yeah. Thank you so much. This was a fun show. Really appreciated uh, all you who are listening, wherever you may be listening from, when you may be listening. Thank you so much. We will be back soon. For now, see ya.